Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Alongside me every Tuesday is Kevin O'Connor from the Ringer, the ice cream man himself. What's up, Kev? Chris, what's going on? What a game last night. Oh, the college football game was totally unbelievable. Before we came on today, we were talking about Deshaun Watson, who uh, made, made quite the name for himself. He became a legendary figure in sports, that's for sure. I can't believe you watched it. I didn't know you liked college football. Yeah, man. I, football I'm, football's right up there with me, for just right there with basketball. I'm a big NFL fan, too. All right. Well, the big story that came out of the NBA last night was the missing in action Derek Rose. This is bizarre. Now, as the time of recording, we don't know what the situation, we haven't gotten any clarity per se outside of, you know, uh, I, I think Hornacek said it was a family situation. Uh, there are reports that he went back to Chicago, but he had gotten benched in a game and then he didn't show up to the arena last night. And the reports that came out from Adrian Wojnarowski were that the Knicks had reached out to him, but hadn't had any contact with him. And then the game just plays out horribly for the Knicks and get two guys ejected. They almost hurt Anthony Davis or rather did hurt Anthony Davis. And they didn't know where their starting point guard was. I read uh, Chris Ryan did a rundown of it on the ringer this morning. Just, it's all so bizarre for that to be the NBA story last night. Yeah, I mean, it's it's bizarre that Rose has fallen so fast, really. I, I was thinking back. It was just six years ago at this time. Derek Rose was in the middle of an most valuable player season. He was unbelievable. He was probably, I think, not the consensus top point guard in the league, but he was a consensus top three to five point guard. And 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 so quickly things can change in the NBA. And it's just sad to see how it's happened, really. You know, and I, I you know, I, I hope there's everything's OK with him. I hope everything's OK with his family. Uh, I knew Derek a long time. I, I, I first met Derek when he was in high school. And of course, he played college basketball at Memphis. And I covered those teams. And I've always had a fondness for him. This whole situation is is quite bizarre. Um, and I hope everything's OK with him. But I've, I've been through this once before with a player. And it was Allen Iverson. When he first came to play for the Memphis Grizzlies, he he lasted like all of three games and he just left. And it was a, quote, family situation. And he was never to be heard from again. Right. I mean, like right before he left, he, he said, you know, people were like, are you injured? And his famous quote was my butt hurts from sitting on the bench. <laughs> Right. <laughs> is what he said. And then he was gone. And then like, the, I don't know. It's it was the first thing that came to my mind because it's all too, I, you know, I, I hate to speculate that something's not wrong with him, but it is quite coincidental that things haven't been going right for Rose on the court. And he got benched in the game and then he just doesn't show up to the arena the next time around. You know, it, it reminded me of, I think it was a 2012 feature article in GQ magazine. Um, by by Will Leach and it detailed how Derrick Rose doesn't love the fame. Uh, I, I looked at that this morning before we got on and there's a paragraph in there that, that Leach wrote something along the lines of just how Derrick Rose just doesn't like all the attention that comes with the stardom. He doesn't, he, he wants to be able to have time where he's alone, where he's just with his family, where he can just have 24 hours to himself and, I wonder if that's really just what it was here. I mean, there was the report that said he went back to Chicago to be with his family. It might be the type of thing where it's just, he doesn't want the attention. He just needs the time alone. And I think, you know, and it's his job and it's his responsibility to be there for Knicks games. And he, you know, we don't know what happened exactly, but I think it's just interesting to go back to read that article in GQ and 
considerate with what's happening today and what we're talking about. So, given given, given uh, that being true and that's his personality, yeah. Uh, is there anything worse than playing in New York? I mean, good grief. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. And at least, and at least what happened last year. And at least in Chicago, he always kind of had the safe haven of it being hometown, right? It's a big market, but Derrick Rose was a hero from the time he was 15 years old in that market, and his family and friends are all there, right? And so this is this is the first time in a long time, even when he played college basketball, his brother and others around him were around all the time, right? Like just, and he, you know, he's just a, it was a one year deal when he had to play in college. Other than that, he'd been in Chicago. Like he, he left Chicago, played college basketball for a year, right? With his brother. And then went right back to Chicago the next year, yep. all the way up until this year. So he's had this kind of bizarre situation where he was never particularly out on his own. Right. Like, I, I, in a, in a, in a city like most people like they, they go to college and maybe they end up in a different city or whatever and he like had the one year of playing college basketball which wasn't even a full year and then he was right back home and so it's kind of odd that you know you'd be this far down the road in your life and never been anywhere other than your hometown given his profession no absolutely yeah. chris weird yeah. so i hope everything's it's okay a, with the guy but hey, hey, the, yeah. listen Forget all that off the court stuff. The basketball team, like the Knicks, yeah, they were doing okay. They were fourteen. They were fourteen and ten, doing pretty well. And now you got these, you know, Carmelo getting thrown out of the game last night. The 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 sketchy quotes from Porzingis, where he's kind of disappointed about stuff. It looked for a while like at that point where they're fourteen and ten, and they were probably third or fourth in the East for a minute that. You know, things were going okay. The Hornacek thing was working, and they weren't really good defensively, but they were good enough, um, you know, on a night-to-night basis to be a pretty good team in the East. But things have just gone the wrong direction for them, basketball-wise. Forget and, – and now you add this on. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned when they were 14-10, and 10, but I think I think even at that point – you could look at their team and say, well, is this really sustainable? And and since then they've gone three and 11, they've been absolutely horrible as you outlined, but I, I just don't think the team has a good fit. I just don't love the mix. And I, I, you look at the team and you just wonder what should they do? Uh, Carmelo Anthony has his no trade clause. How many teams would he realistically waive that no trade clause? And even if, and even if he was willing to waive that no trade clause, what what would those teams have as assets they could even give to the Knicks that would want to make them do a trade? So in some ways, I look at the Knicks and they just feel like a team that's just stuck where they are with the contracts that they signed with Carmelo having the no trade clause. They just seem like in a, it's a really bad situation. And in the sense that even though they have talent. I don't think they're in a position where they can really move the needle to move towards being a real contender or even even a team that can even make a little bit of noise in the playoffs for that matter. Because at this stage, they would miss the playoffs if the season ended today. If, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think they're a couple games out um, from the eight seed. Uh, so with them, I, I just wonder what they should do. Personally, I think they should try to trade Carmelo Anthony, but the difficulty is finding a home for him. And it sucks because you do have two outstanding players in Carmelo and Porzingis. And Porzingis, you still got a lot of time, right? Is Carmelo the... outstanding anymore, though? Is Carmelo outstanding? Oh, hundred percent. What? I don't know. Carmelo Anthony? No, but outstanding. So yes. you're saying you're saying top ten player, Carmelo Anthony? I don't still? know if he's a top ten player in the league right now, but Carmelo uh, Anthony. Okay. 
Carmelo it Anthony is the definition of outstanding. He is still but, awesome, Kevin. Good grief! What? I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd call him outstanding, but I guess it all depends on the label and the definition of the label. But he's not. He's not the twenty-eight per game, twenty-eight point per game scorer he was just five years ago. It's the same thing with Derrick Rose. Rose has fallen further than Carmelo has, but Carmelo isn't quite the same guy. You he see was a couple Carmelo years ago in like something like the Olympics amongst the best players in the world. Yeah, but we're was, talking about the NBA, though. I'm <laughs> saying he was like the best <laughs> guy. They said, don't act like that. Carmelo Anthony is not still a great player. Yeah. That's just goofy. And, and may, maybe he would be in a different situation. Maybe you're right. Maybe in a different situation, his level of play would rise back up. But as he's playing right now, he is not the same guy as he was just two or three years ago. All right, so his three-point percentage, his shooting percentages are down. He's dealing with that shoulder injury, which I assume could be affecting his play. He's just, I don't think he's the same guy. He is not the same guy as he was, say, four years ago, right? But I still think Carmelo Anthony is an outstanding player in the NBA. He's 32 years old. It's not like he's 40. And he's, he's still unwilling to play the four, too. Well, which would be which I think would accelerate there. That would probably so. The, the original point was that both him and Porzingis, <laughs> that it's like, you know, these are lost years. They just are. You know what I mean? They're not doing anything. And and, and maybe, you know, it, listen, I think it's fair to say the best of Carmelo is behind him, but he can still be one of your best two or three players on a, on a really good team. And, sure, yeah. And that's and, and maybe Porzingis could too. And this is just like, you know, I mean, again, it's just a wasted year probably for both of their careers. Yeah. I, I mean, sure. In some ways I look at this year and I don't know if we talked about this during one of the, the preseason podcasts, but with the Knicks, I just look at them and like, all I really care about is just keeping Porzingis healthy and right. watching him develop into the star that he's becoming. And, I, and, you know, it is a wasted year in terms of they might not make the playoffs and Porzingis might not be able to shine in the playoffs, but he is making huge strides in his second year. And I think personally scouting him when he was playing overseas prior to the draft before the 2014 draft, I had him ranked 10th on my board and he decided to stay another year, which turned out to be an incredible decision. Obviously he turned into a top four pick going to the Knicks, but I don't think I ever expected him at 21 years old to be doing the things he's doing right now. The dude has developed at just a rapid rate in a way that I, I didn't expect him to at all. So even though it might be a lost season for the Knicks franchise, it, in a sense, what they're getting from Porzingis just it bodes well for them if they pull the right strings and make the right decisions over these next couple of seasons. Whatever you want to call the phase they're in, I, I look at it as a transition phase. I don't see them as a winning organization until they make moves. Um, but whatever they do the next couple of years, building around Porzingis, building a core around him that fits and allows him to operate at the highest of levels. I think that really needs to be their priority. I agree. He'll be the guy. He'll be the guy they get, that they will end up building around. He's still very, very young. Um, it's just like, they, I, I would love to see them in playoff situations. And it, at least as of today, it does not look like that's in the you future. That's, that doesn't look like that's in the cards, right? Well, if if they were, we might see a sweep against. Well, Cleveland if anyway. they were like eight, if they were like eight, <laughs> but from two down, and maybe Toronto bashes somebody. But honestly, yeah. from three down in the East, throw them all in a hat. I mean, I don't think that. Nah, I, I I don't think so. I think I think you have to put. 
I think you have to put Cleveland on their own, obviously, but I think Celtics and Toronto are pretty close. I think those two teams are tight. Oh, uh, you could put the Celtics up there. I'm fine with that. Well, we're, we're going to see them play tonight too, as well. So I think yeah. that'll yeah, be you a, get, interesting. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with putting the Celtics. If you, you think there's a line of demarcation between the Cel- uh, those three and everybody else, that's fine. So Celtics, Celtics record is not, I don't, I don't, I think they are better than what their record is right now. They've gotten their guys back healthy. They still have nights though, yeah. where, well, the, well they're 15 and five with their, when their starting lineup is healthy. Right. And, and they they haven't, they haven't had that lineup for quite a lot. So that's why tonight, even tonight, they won't have Avery Bradley. Well, uh, so that, that'll hurt them against DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. Well, to wit on the whole, where, when we're scouting out the Eastern conference, you go to those three teams, Cleveland, the Toronto, and Boston, right? Four yep. four is now Atlanta, which we've got to bring up because the reports are this morning that Millsap's off the table. Now, all anybody has talked about over the course of the last week is they moved off Corver, and now it'll be Millsap, and it'll be Cephalosha, and those guys are going to go somewhere else. Well, Mark Stein from ESPN reported this morning that Millsap's off the table. Now, we'll see if that's true or not or if that's you know just what they're saying. You know, but sources say that Millsap's off the table. And I the major reason is because they can't stop winning. Like they win, you know what I mean? Like they made this deal and now they're winning all the time. They've won six in a row. They're eight and two in their last ten. And so that's part of the reason they don't want to move him. And 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 then there was this other explanation about the whole Corver thing, which was Basically, that they liked the two other guys. They wanted to get Bembry on the court. They wanted to get Taurine Prince on the court. And they have been very good at developing guys that are not necessarily expected to be. They they develop them, whether it's a a Bazemore, whether it's a Damare Carroll. And so they have these guys in Bembry and and uh, and Prince, and they want to develop them. And so the whole Corver thing was not necessarily a flare that we're changing it all up, but rather you know we're doing this to make room for these guys. And now they, they like I said, they won six in a row, and maybe Millsap's not going to be on the move. So I, I think first of all. I think anytime you can get DeAndre Bembry playing time could be a, a good thing for them because I, I just think he he could be a really impactful player. Maybe, maybe not this season, but I look at the impact Malcolm Brogdon is making for the Bucks, and in some ways Bembry is a little bit similar as a player in terms of he's a do it all kind of Swiss Army knife player. So I I like I like their pick they made for Bembry in the draft, and if he's able to get playing time, then great. Um, as for Paul Millsap. I, I'm just a little bit confused on what they're doing here. Granted, you know, as you outlined, there's the report that they want to get the young guys playing time. Um, I just don't see, I don't, I don't look at their situation and see how a team would cough up a whole lot for Paul Millsap, considering that he's going to be 32 and he'll be a unrestricted free agent this summer. I wrote yesterday on the ringer about how, if you're one of those playoff pretenders, if, if you're one of, if you're the Pelicans or you're the magic or something like that, I don't see why you would cough up a whole lot for Paul, for Paul Millsap. So I wonder if the report last night from Woj and today from Mark Stein, that, them pulling Millsop off the table is really just a reaction to a lack of real interest, to a lack of teams being able to cough up what it would actually take to get Millsap. Uh, and maybe by February we do see his name come back in discussions, uh, or maybe we won't. Maybe teams won't won't be willing to give what it would take. 
But I just think it's odd how one day he's on the block and one day it looks like they're re- rebuilding. And then two days later, suddenly they're just because they've won six games in a row, they're they're going to keep their guys 32 in a free agent coming up this summer. Yeah, but you always have that pressure, right? And, and you brought this up in the case of like Orlando with Hennigan. That's where... You know, that's where the rubber hits the road when it comes to the trade deadline, because some of these guys, if their team does not play up to the expectation level of the owner, they're going to lose their job. And so all no, of a right. sudden those deals start getting a little bit better, right? All of a sudden you're you're willing to give up maybe some young guys in a first round pick just because you got to, you know, you, you would love for everybody to have some kind of long term plan, but long term plans get thrown out the window when you think you might lose your job. No, absolutely. And, you know, that was kind of the center of that is that, you know, if you're Atlanta, you want to milk this out as long as you can go and try to get these teams bidding against each other. Uh, Because at some point, you're right, maybe the Orlando Magic or whoever it is, it it doesn't really matter. Team Team X, if Team X gets to a point where they feel pressure and they the GM and the front office feels like they got to make a move to get the seven or eight seed or at least have positive strides coming after the trade deadline. Yeah. Maybe ownership does influence a team to give up a little bit more than they actually probably should for Paul Millsap. Um, So I think if you're Atlanta, that's what you're hoping for. You're hoping that a team decides, fuck it. We're just going to go all in trying to go for the playoffs, even if it's not in our best interest. Yeah. What do you Kings, the Pelicans, teams like that. You you don't know what they're going to do by that. Yeah. And and maybe in the off season, like we keep talking about, you know, 32 years old and you might get a max deal. Maybe Millsap is weirdly always been a guy that's taken crappy contracts, <laughs> you know, like his whole career. I swear this guy's been like the worst paid outstanding player. Can I call him outstanding? Was he outstanding enough for you? Um, sure. Huh? But, <laughs> but he's always had crappy contracts, like always. And so it's weird. Like, does he cash in finally or does he like get one more crappy contract? Go back and look at his deals and what he has signed, like all along the way. He's never been paid like other all-stars. And so who knows? Maybe he'd take a three-year, you know what I mean? Like a three-year max wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, right? If you're if you're if you're another team. And so that's why I'm saying you might give something up to him because this guy's got a track record of not necessarily taking or getting great deals over the course of his career. You know? Yeah. Um so with Millsap, I think he'll get the max this summer. I don't think it matters that he's 32, and I, I don't think it matters that he's probably show, shown subtle signs of de- decline this season. I think he's good enough, and he's three-time All-Star. He's the type of guy that's a great fit in today's NBA, and I think he'll get a max. Um, and if he's healthy, I do think his game does kind of – his type of game, I think, will age well. Um uh, I think he could lose a little bit of his explo- little bit of his explosive explosiveness and still be a productive player. But honestly, I just I wouldn't want to give up a max if I'm if I'm a team that that isn't in a spot where it's actually ready to contend. If I'm Toronto, I look at Paul Millsap and I see him possibly as a final piece to close the gap, the gap on Cleveland. But if I'm like the Kings. I, I wouldn't want to give Paul Millsap the ma- a max. Yeah. If I'm the Pelicans, I wouldn't. Even though those teams need a guy next to their guy, Cousins and Davis, I just don't know if Millsap gets you to the level that you need to get to. 
uh, considering his age, considering the fact that he hasn't been quite as awesome this year, yeah. um, considering the knee surgery he had before the season, uh, there's just concerns there with me for him, uh, for teams that aren't ready to actually contend. And in fairness, in 2015, he did cash in a little. He didn't get a super long deal, but he signed a three-year deal for $60 million. So he's getting, he got 19 last year. He's got 20 this year. He's going to get 21. Uh, it's a player option, but up until that, up until that deal, Paul Millsap never got paid more than $10 million. His highest that he got paid through the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years of his career, the first nine years of his career, he never had a $10 million contract. That's insane. To be, to, to be fair, he was, he was a reserve in Utah for, for the first four years of his career. Right. So that, that first contract after his, after his rookie scale contract, I think mm-hmm. I don't think he was in a position really to get paid the big bucks at that point of his career. But he has cashed in and he's turned into an all star in Atlanta, though. Yeah, so and now so, he's at a point where he's going to get that max. Which uh, so that's going to be a, a lot of money for Paul Millsap for if if he does end up getting moved. But as a, as of right now, they're saying it's unavailable. But the the interesting thing is they're winning, Kevin. So right, like that is the other side of this. They've won six in a row. They're eight and two in their last 10. And I mean, if the playoffs start today, they got damn home court advantage. You know, so like, do you want to move Paul Mills up when you got home court advantage? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> no, really? Yeah, I do. I, 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 I would. I, if you're getting getting the right return on him, um, I, I think I think Millsap, what he said publicly and what what he said publicly is that he wants to stay in Atlanta and and his choice a couple of years ago when when he resigned there indicated that he wants to stay in Atlanta. So maybe the Hawks do feel comfortable that they'll be able to keep him him around and maybe they'd be less likely to deal him for that reason. But the same concerns I have about him with this team uh, with other teams in terms of the fact that I don't know if he puts you over the edge. I don't know if I'd want to sign him for that max. Man, I tell you this, I, if, if, if you're able to get a lot for him, which I don't know if you are, maybe that's a better path, but there's no guarantees that you can get a lot. I'm from telling him. you, if I'm a top four seed, I'm not moving him. No way. What? You're a twisted ankle away from maybe like playing in the in in a East Finals or the or or the NBA Finals or something. You know, somebody's big time guy yeah. goes out and you never know. And if I got home court advantage in the first round and then I mean again, like you you just never know the way the playoffs are going to play out and what do you what do you want when you go into the year? If he's I don't know, man. I would I I, I if I can be the 4 seed, if you told me I don't move him and I get the 4 seed and then I can figure it out, I I I'd rock with it. And it, it seems like that's what they're doing. If they did move him, like let's just say they did. What do you think they do with Dwight Howard with his year, the years left on his deal? Do you think that there would be much of a market for Dwight? Because he is having a pretty good year with Atlanta. I'd, I'd, no, I'd keep him. I'd keep him. Again, so you, what so do you, you want to be? What do you, what do you want to be if you're Atlanta? <sighs> I just, I, 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 I don't like getting rid of, of good players. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, a, I mean? I'm a Sam Hinkie truther. I, I, I trust the process. So I, I think I'd want to bottom out, especially this year with this draft. I'd, I'd want to, I'd want to stack, I'd want to stack up on draft picks in 2017, man. I'd, I'd want as many as possible this year. Well, you got a long way to bottom out. I mean, when you're the fourth oh, I, seed I know, right I, now. I know, I know. You, you got to do have a long way to go. But as, as Joel Embiid said recently, uh, the Sixers are only like seven and a half games out 
of the eight seed, the Hawks, the Hawks are maybe what ten games back from the the third best lottery odds or something like that. <laughs> Good, you can bottom out quick. If, you can bottom out quick if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Trust that you. You are a Sam Hinkie truther, really. Yeah, I, I think what Hinkie did is pretty awesome uh, with, the, with the Sixers. I think you know. I think it it's remains despicable. to be seen how. It'll, I, it remains to be seen how it will work out, but I thought it was a really cool thing to actually see what I've done in video games for years actually happen in real life. Just tank, 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 and then accumulate a lot of talent, and then you can do anything with those assets. Well, they haven't done that much with those assets. Well, I what mean, that, we, don't I, know, I guess... we, we don't know. We don't know what Hinky would have done if they kept him on. They they hired Colangelo and obviously pushed Hinky out the door. I think we'll see what Colangelo does. I I wish Hinky could have seen this through though, just just to see what what would have come of it. You talked about some of the other in the article that you wrote yesterday about the trade deadline coming upon us. You wrote about the Blazers and you wrote about how this whole idea of of, of Lillard and McCollum and a lot of people are bringing this up now. As it stands right now, they are the eighth seed, but there's a there's a wide gap. There's you know there's the seven teams that are pretty solidly in the Western Conference playoffs, and then there's a seven game gap between. Oklahoma City and the Blazers. And then the Blazers are bunched up with the Kings and the Pelicans and the Nuggets and even the Lakers. All those teams are within two games of each other. And the idea was that they need some rim protection. Their defense has been horrendous uh, for Portland. But then you brought up, does rim protection... that Maybe that doesn't necessarily fix the problem, which is your backcourt defense and the inevitable... You know, if you're going to have these two great players in McCollum and Lillard like that, the sacrifice you make is you're not going to be great defensively in the backcourt. Right. So in that article, kind of the 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 point of discussion was that guy, there's guys out there that could potentially solve their solve their room protection issues or at least help it in a positive way uh tyson chandler is a guy they're reportedly interested in obviously nerland's noel's name has been on the market for months now andrew bogut with the mavericks could get moved eventually so those guys could obviously help their own protection issues however it doesn't solve their issues defending on the perimeter um, because of the backcourt of cj mccollum and damian lillard and i think in many ways that's kind of the primary source of their issues on the defensive end of the floor and I think it's really hard to build a true championship contending team. I think they can be great, those two. I think they can be a great team that makes runs at West, the Western Conference Finals and maybe they even get into a Finals, but I just don't even view them. I just don't view that backcourt, this current roster construct, as a team that can win the title. And ultimately, that's the goal. So this has been discussed before, the idea of trading C.J. McCollum Um for a guy like DeMarcus Cousins. That's that's a, na- a name people talk about a lot. The column for Cousins. I don't think Boogie gets traded at this point. So let's assume that a trade like that isn't available. What they could do is they could get their rim protector. They could go for Nerlens Noel still, but they could also cash in McCollum for a lot of draft picks. And the deal I proposed within the article was something along the lines of, let me pull it up right here. I swear <clears throat> you, I swear every time I read you, I... Does any, I think you, I think, all right, In if I was ranking the people that love Nerland's Noel in life, I would say his mother won Kevin O'Connor too. Oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not at that level. 
but but the trade the trade <laughs> was see, see, here's the thing no Here, here's the trade i put out there i said the blazers send cj mccollum to the sixers for nerland's noel the sixers unprotected 2017 first the kings unprotected 29 first and multiple second round picks blazers fans reacted to that like hmm but no Sixers fans reacted to that, to that like, hell no, we're not giving up our draft picks for CJ McCollum because he can't play defense at all. And both sides, I think, you know, if they argue no, I think they have legitimate points. Um, I'm not so sure that I would do that trade if I were the Sixers because I am, like I said earlier, so high on this draft. I think I would rather open up the Markel Fultz mystery box more so than I would the you know what you're going to get in CJ McCollum box. I think I'd rather go that path, but I think you could look at this deal and say McCollum puts the Sixers at a level where they're suddenly one or one or two guys away from having a really, really, really good team. Cause McCollum is a great fit next to Embiid and Ben Simmons. Simmons will be the point guard, but he needs to play with a, another guard that can also handle the rock, but here's the key. They need to be a great shooter off the dribble because Simmons is going to handle the ball a lot. And McCollum is an outstanding shooter off the catch. Um, Markel Fultz in the draft. There's no guarantees you're going to get him. Uh, I like a lot of the other draft prospects, uh, point guard prospects this year, but I don't love them like I love Fultz. So that would kind of be my thought here that maybe you're getting a guy that you know is a fit, whereas other prospects, you're not quite as sure. Um so well, and here's here's the thing. Kev, what's a, a, what's a percentage chance that you draft somebody better than CJ McCollum? I would say very low. It's very low. It's low. Totally, you're 100 percent right. And that that's what I think Sixers fans, you know, their their negative reaction to the trade. Uh, that's what you're underestimating is the fact that even even if you even if you do get Markel Fultz who I think will be a tr- tremendous player in the NBA, there's still a chance that he doesn't become a tremendous player. It, it all depends on your independent evaluation of him. Um, and the fact that CJ McCollum has already proven it for multiple seasons and Fultz hasn't even finished his college year. And with Fultz, I don't think he's quite the knockdown shooter McCollum is. Uh, and I think it could take him years getting to that level. So I think, you know, if, if this deal were to happen, I think McCollum would accelerate the Sixers plan. They'd, He'd make them maybe a contender for the seven or eight seed in the East, which is quite an improvement over what they are now. And as for the Blazers, the other side of that is that they could potentially get a guy who's a better fit. It doesn't have to be Fultz. It could be one of the forwards. It could be Jackson or Tatum. Um, it could be Giles. It could be Giles. It could be anybody else in the draft that they think is a fit for their future, a fit for making them a contender. Whereas with McCollum, I just don't see that upside i think there's a ceiling on what they can become with the current construct of the team whereas maybe opening another door where they get their star young rim protector noel and maybe getting another young player maybe that does put them on a path where they actually can reach a higher level than what they can right now and it'd be a hard deal to make on both ends but i i think the reaction to it is kind of positive to me in the sense that both sides are saying no. <laughs> so I think that means that's an indication that we're pretty close to what could be a cool theoretical trade. Or maybe you came up with a crappy one if everybody hates it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. In my experience, if, if one side is saying yes and the other side is saying, hell no, you're an idiot, that usually means it's a bad trade. But if both sides are saying, hell no, you're an idiot, that's usually the case when, when it's a pretty good idea because nobody wants to trade their best players and nobody wants to trade their best assets. And, 
And those are the toughest deals to make when it involves big name players and big name assets. But sometimes those are the deals that you need to make. Well, speaking of the 76ers, you had a chance to talk to the aforementioned Joel Embiid and you talked to him about his ball handling prowess. Embiid as a point guard. We're going to hear this clip right now. You mentioned the other day that you want to be a point guard by the end of your career, and I know you're dead-ass serious about that, but I'm, yeah. I have to ask anyway, are you are you serious about wanting to be a, a point guard by the end of your career? Yeah, dead-ass. I'm really <laughs> serious. Uh, you know, I think um, I feel like I can. I, I'm willing to learn, and I feel like I can do anything on a basketball court, and if I have someone to teach me, how to be a point guard, I think I can. Uh, obviously, guarding other point guards would be kind of tough. Um, but, you know, if I get the chance to do that, I, that's what I want to do. <laughs> now, you're going to be able to hear the entire conversation that Kevin had with Joel Embiid. You can check this feed, uh, the NBA show, uh, later today, and we'll have the entire conversation up. But uh, you were fascinated by this whole idea that Joel Embiid can run the pick and roll as the ball handler, huh? <laughs> yeah, uh, so Embiid said last week to reporters after a game that, you know, by the end of his career, he wants to be a point guard. And I think it was kind of taken as a joke online. And it, it so I asked him about it. And obviously, as you heard, he's dead ass serious. <laughs> but but um, he's not going to be a point guard. I mean, he's he's too talented of a big man to ever become a point guard. But I think. <laughs> I think we can't underestimate him developing as a ball handler, and that's something that he needs to do um, over the course of his career. The large majority of his turnovers are a result of poor decision-making or forcing plays that aren't there or simply just mishandling the ball. So at this age, 22, he's not the ball handler he'll be when he's 28. And this is this is kind of the key here. I think I think he has great passing instincts um, when he does look to pass. And I think he's a highly accurate passer when he is looking to pass. So if he does develop as a ball handler, the pure instincts are there for him to be able to distribute the ball a little bit. I'm not saying he'll be point guard or playing the pick and roll would be a key part of his offense. But I think a guy that's um, as unbelievably talented as he is, maybe by the end of his career, we're looking at him as a little bit more of a dynamic player than just a, a post-up player who just happens to shoot threes. I think he could be a guy that drives closeouts to attack or potentially kicks the ball out a little bit. Well, you see glimpses of it already. I've, I've never seen a guy his size move like he does. And like there'll be times where he catches the ball out at the three-point line, he's crossing big guys over already. So, I, could, I mean, I know it, it sounds kind of goofy, but I absolutely could see him becoming a, a really good ball handler that, you know, is making moves to the basket. I mean, I've already seen it, you know, in, in short spurts. So... I can't imagine. I I I cannot. I I pray. I pray that that kid is is over the injuries. You know what I mean? Because I cannot fathom what he could look like in two or three years from now. I mean, just uh, like nothing we've ever seen, ever. Yeah, and you know, and the other part of that conversation that people can listen to is, you know, I I asked him about, you know, what it takes to be great. I mean, what are the things that he's learned about the things you have to do? And I think I think Embiid has proven over time just with how much of a sponge he is, how quickly he's improved at Kansas, how much he improved over his two years off from playing. I think I think he has a good track record and a great kind of mindset that you need to have to reach the level that he can reach. I think a lot of those players are unique in their mindsets and Embiid seems to be someone who has an understanding of what he can become. And he is a coach in Brett Brown who has openly talked about 
the potential Embiid has to be one of the greats. So he has support from his coaches, and I think he has an understanding of himself of what he be what he can become and how he can get to that level. We're gonna do some quick hits when we come back. First, a word from our sponsor. Today's Ringer NBA show is brought to you by Soylent. Fueling our bodies every day can often feel like hard work. Sometimes it can be so challenging to decide on what to eat or prepare a proper meal. But feeling good about what you eat doesn't have to be an unattainable goal thanks to Soylent Drink. Each bottle of Soylent Drink fulfills more than just 20% of your daily nutritional requirements, providing you with the freedom to choose how you want to spend your time. Ingredients include protein isolated from soy, fats from sunflower oil, and carbs delivered from beets. Soylent drink satisfies your stomach's hunger for immediate calories and your mind's hunger for long-term good nutrition. So don't wait. Try Soylent today. And just for our listeners, you can go to Soylent.com and use the code NBA show for 15% off. That's Soylent.com and code NBA show. All right, Kevin, a couple quick hits before we get out of here today. Draymond Green says DeMarcus Cousins is the best big man in the NBA. Do you agree? Nah, not if you factor in defense. I think offensively you could you can make that argument, but not defense. Who's the best big man in the NBA? Would you take Davis? Uh, Would you take Marcus Saul? Would you take <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you. I know you take Marcus Sewell. Had to throw. Listen, Marcus Sewell's um, an MVP candidate. You know, I, I, I would probably take Anthony Davis just, just because I think you know if, if he were surrounded by better players, I think his play would even be elevated to a higher level than it already is. All right, uh, Anthony Bennett, cut again. Is he the biggest bust? I went back and looked at number one picks, right? So the conversation, especially over the course of the last 20, 25 years, you got Ola Candy, you got uh, Kwame Brown, you got Greg Oden. And I went and looked, and all those guys were at least more productive in the time that they were on the court than Bennett. Um, and I don't know if it's all over, if the book is is closed on Anthony Bennett, but this is another team that's gotten rid of him. But even like, you know, Oliver Candy, it's like 8.7 rebounds. Uh, one year he had like 11, uh, average 11 and nine. It's clearly, you know, listen, was not a great number one. None of these guys that I'm mentioning, Odin was just ravaged by injuries. Um, but in his time on the court, you know, I, I think Greg Odin would have been a great player if it weren't for the injuries. Kwame Brown, you know, he had like a over a decade long career at least even though it's it's obviously not a great pick by any means. Um, Bennett might be the biggest one, Kev. I mean, it certainly looks like right now. Because, I mean, yeah. it's not injuries. Yeah. He's just not yeah, good. If you, if, you, if, you, if you don't factor in, like, I guess expectations, because with Kwame Brown, I would say expectations for him were a whole lot higher than they were for Anthony Bennett. But if you don't factor that in and you just look at production, yeah, I, I would say Anthony Bennett is probably the biggest bust in league history. Um, I think I think it's a little unfair to him in a sense that I don't think many people looked at him as as a number one pick. That was kind of a surprise to a lot of people. If, if Victor Oladipo went number one that year, which he should have, I, I think you know we would be saying, oh, you know, he hasn't quite met expectations, but he became a pretty good player. Anthony Bennett just doesn't seem like the type of guy who is putting in what needs what needs to be done to reach the level that he can become, which isn't great. But I think he still has talent, and I think. I think it's disappointing that he hasn't developed into even a contributing level player. Somebody else is going to take a shot on him. They will. I don't know. How about this? How I about don't the, know, hey, man. No, you know why? I went and looked this up this morning. This is going to be shocking to you. You know, he's 23. 
he is the same age as Denzel Valentine and Buddy Heald. Can you believe that? Yeah, I mean, he's 23, but at the same time, how many chances has he had? He's played for four teams in four seasons. And he just got got released by the worst team in the NBA that has literally (laughs) nothing to lose by giving him playing time and seeing what happens. I, I I I think when the Nets signed him, I was like, oh, this is great. Anthony Bennett's going to get an opportunity to play in a situation and maybe get over whatever he needs to get over. And it just hasn't happened in what I thought was the perfect situation for him to actually develop into even to even develop into like a back end bench guy. I mean, that was kind of my thought is like, let's hope this dude can stay around in the league. And it just it just hasn't happened. No, nah, to a your point, he's not even getting cut off good teams. He's getting cut off crappy ones. That's usually not yeah. a good omen. If you can't if you can't stay on the if you can't stay on the bad teams, that's a tough spot. Anthony. Yeah, and if they don't even want to keep you, it's just it's disappointing. All right, last one, Kevin. Steph Curry had a cameo on The Family Guy. If you could have a cameo on any cartoon. I don't know. <laughs> not not family guy though. You don't like family Definitely guy. Not. I'm 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 not a family guy person. You know, if if I if I were to get a cameo on a on a cartoon, it would probably be like one of the old Nickelodeon shows. I don't know which one. Maybe SpongeBob. That would be pretty sweet. <laughs> SpongeBob. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm not I'm not sure why they would have anybody to have to do with basketball and SpongeBob, but maybe SpongeBob. Who knows? Maybe it's a basketball episode, right? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? SpongeBob, SpongeBob SquarePants. That's a good answer, Kevin. All right. Well, everybody can go check out uh, the the MB thing's going to be up later today. You're going to be able to check out this feed, the Ringer NBA show feed for Kevin's extended uh, interview with Joel Embiid. And you're going to do an uh, uh, accompanying uh, little article, right, for the ringer.com? Yes, I'll be tweeting that out and it'll be on the Ringer. Awesome. Can't wait to read that and listen to that later today. That's going to do it for the Ringer NBA show today. If you like what you're hearing, head over to iTunes, give us a rating and review, and we will talk to you on Thursday. Ready,